show rolling. Hello, welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, aka Uncle Big Old Teeth. They're not that big. I, I, it's, it's, it works for the show tonight. Come on, how we doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're doing okay. Uh, Justin, by the way, you know this already. You know the name. You know third the man in. Yeah. Who's the third guy? Yeah. It's me. The, uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's a pleasure to have. You two gentlemen here tonight, we're going to have fun. We're at Justin's house. You're a guest here too, buddy. I know, but <laughs> they don't know that. They don't uh, know. Now nah, they do, nah. but thank you All right, so much. I'm sorry for disrupting. I'm sorry for breaking kayfabe. I've been here for five My months. My Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just feeling a little crazy tonight because I'm drinking this Atlas Brew Works Bullpen Pilsner Baseball Beer Strike Strike. <laughs> I don't know. I don't watch a whole lot of sports. I just drink the beer and listen to metal. Oh my god, I'm drinking a not as good beer. So, well, I would love for you to tell me about yeah, the delicious uh, Atlas Brew. Yeah, it's a goddamn ex- home run, you son of a bitch. No, <laughs> come on. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little salty, like an old school baseball coach here. Uh, like the peanuts they serve. Yeah, at this uh, Atlas Brew Works and Cracker Jacks uh, of DC uh, bullpen Pilsner. You pair this well with half smokes, peanuts, and Cracker Jacks, and some of that chin music. So, yeah, you better not get too smart over there. I'll come over and dumb you down, tough guy. Uh, brewed in partnership with our hometown world champion team, Bullpen Pilsner features subtle floral and earthy hop notes paired with a clean finish, crisp and refreshing. It's the perfect craft lager for a sunny afternoon in the stands. Uh, social distanced, uh, standing five feet away from all of your friends with a mask on. A clean Gra- finish like ah. Hogan over Andre. Grab a bullpen and stay ready to play all season long, tough guy, you motherfucker. No, I'm sorry. Uh, we got to stay clean because this is Atlas Brew Works beer. Thank you. Uh, you can go to their Atlas Brew Works uh, website and order the beer. You can go there, drink the beer, eat the food. They might have a show or two once in a while. There's a lot of things you shouldn't do there, but you can do a lot of things. There. Speaking of things that you can't do in public, how was your weekend, Tom? No. Well, now I have nothing to talk about because all my things are done in private. Oh, boy. In all seriousness, I bought this new rig. You guys, what do you think of this laptop, guys? It's great, Tom. It, it's like you watch Galaxy Quest for the first time, and you were like, I need that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, ambitious. Pretty much. Yeah, it's a very ambitious laptop. It's space, pretty much. Yeah, so uh, I use it for work. It's not just a podcast. This isn't your Patreon money. Is Like I said, it's all in Bitcoin. Uh, this is my money, okay? <laughs> my, it's all mine. Yeah. yeah no, this, but this is fun. I like technology, and this is my new technology. I don't like technology. I like the way your new, it looks like candy. It, it looks okay. fresh and slick. It's Prague, Tom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen. I, that's all I got right now. Speaking of Prague, how was your weekend, Justin? Did you uh, listen to much Dream Theater? Or? It, yeah, I listened uh, to no Dream Theater, which is pretty typical. It's the appropriate amount pretty, for me. I'm not, uh, all right? It's pretty typical. Uh, I, try, f- I, I saw Firewind. Actually, I saw Firewind on a playlist. I didn't play that either. But I did play Uno, actually. Oh. And uh, a new uh, fun graphic design version, minimalist style version of Uno, uh, where I guess you had to know what a draw four was uh, because it just says a tiny little plus four in it. You know, don't you don't need to make the text bigger. It's just there how it is. Um, and that was my weekend. That is too technical for me. I don't understand. I, it makes me feel like a simple person. Oh, uh, uh, oh, I got some uh, mail. Interesting mail. Okay, what's his name? <laughs> I like what you did there. Ah. I uh, can't think of the uh, name of the particular male, but 
I did get in the U.S. Post Office uh, service uh, mail into my mailbox. Brand new uh, heavy hole patches. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, they're Jeez. nice. Oh, boy. Oh, it's, my God. It's over. I thought I... You, can you see my vest that I'm wearing? It's filled with all of the heavy hole patches. Can it patch the hole in my heart? No. That's why I need this Atlas Brewworks bullpen pills their beer. Ow! <laughs> wow. That Dumb. is right. Two but, reads. One's ours, so it doesn't really count. Yes, but <laughs> if you're uh, you know, looking for a cool uh, patch, then I have you covered. Okay. Well, listen. You talked about things <laughs> that were too technical for my simple mind to understand. <laughs> You talked about getting things in the mail. Yeah. I have a segue for that. Because I got in the mail just today two things that are far too complicated Where and did you deep get? and dynamic for my simple caveman brain. Where did you pull that ever, out of? Yeah. Ever comprehend. I, I, because I'm a magician here. It's like David Blaine over here. It's you going better nuts. start introducing the podcast uh, as David Blaine. As Big Blaine. Yeah, yeah. Big Baby Blaine. All right. Listen. <laughs> I I got I, this is a this is yo spe- Big Will aka Card Shark. Speaking <laughs> of magic, speaking of magic tricks today uh, uh, and the odds of things, I got this package today from Translation Lost Records, uh, and it, it contains um, oh. complex and dynamic music oh that would my make God. my head explode. Wow. Yeah. Dysrhythmia's Terminal Threshold. Look at that. Now this is the second time I've purchased this album. You want to know about the first time? Is it a good story? Yeah. It, it was the last show Artificial Brain performed at Saint performed it all really but at St. Vitus uh, with Blood Incantation and Dysrhythmia mm-hmm. earlier this year shortly before the shutdown on Valentine's Day. I, yeah, I've dragged my fiance there. That's right. Yeah, I um went home alone. Um and the <laughs> <Send> me too. <laughs> the uh, uh the cruel ironic loneliness of playing a great death metal show with your friends and going home alone on Valentine's Day as a death metal loser was amplified because I went home even more alone <laughs> because I bought my copy of Dysrhythmia Ter- Terminal Threshold on vinyl from the band at the merch table that night and left it right there it was I left it perched on the windowsill of St. Vitus <laughs> And I and I was packing up all the merch and no. packing up all my stuff. And I remembered, like on the ride home, oh yeah, my my vinyl is still there on display on the way. So I don't care because whoever found it, I like to think that one of the employees at Vitus found it and owns it and listens to it. Okay, okay. and I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah, that's good. This might be a brave little toaster scenario in which uh, the band actually picked it up and resold it to you. Yeah, oh. I, you know, either <laughs> way, good. the band made a little Double extra dipping. money. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I I got this from the label. Uh, so, it's, but but it, shout it's, out to labels. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was. It, I really am cool with it though because I like to think since I left it at St. Vitus, a cool person got the record and, and and owns it. Hell yeah! And a cool band definitely got my money that night, so I'm not mad. It's but this a is my cool this, fucking record. this is my definitive copy that I'm not going to leave anywhere. It's it's unless I leave it here tonight. Which I I'm had not. to leave that show early because it was too sick. Well, because I was all sauced up and feeling pretty nice. Uh, when Blood Incantation started playing, yeah. and, and there was a, I saw a uh, alleged marijuana cigarette uh, being passed around, and I just grabbed it. I didn't even ask. I grabbed it, and I, you know, I inhaled it. I, Allegedly, you know, oh, alleged. Justin, you're going to get this whole podcast thing tanked if you keep talking about I drugs. I smoked it. This guy with his reckless lifestyle, and then I, I would have left. And then I got scared, and I had to go. Home. I refuse to believe that Blood Incantation tolerates drug use during their. I went home and instantly detoxed. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> Well, listen, something you can listen to when you're trying to detox, 
I also got this Kevin Huffnagel Messages to the Past. Ooh. Solo oh. album. Beautiful album. Amazing. Yeah, I love his solo it's stuff. a beautiful album of music. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I I've wanted to own this for years because That's I actually awesome. saw this in Colin's studio, this vinyl and this artwork uh, uh lends this cover art is just beautiful. It lends itself to vinyl. It's a beautiful album. Listeners can go back and check out our interview with Kevin Huffnagel. Uh, from quite some time back, we talked about a lot of his solo work and his work with Dysrhythmia. We've interviewed Colin a few times. That's we had the New Year's Eve episode with Colin. That's awesome. Uh, but for tonight, you son of a bitch, we got a different translation lost artist for you. Uh, step right up to bat, homeboy, because we're going to talk to not one, not two, but all three members of Power Trio Bearing Teeth. Woo. Translation lost records artists themselves. Oh, my God. And they all have, they don't. Yeah, no. Yes. One of them goes fishing. <laughs> You're going to hear a lot of teeth on this one. One of them goes fishing. Get him on the hook. I quit. Heavy Hole Podcast, joined as always by my co-hosts Justin and Tom, and tonight we're joined by all three members of Dallas, Texas-based band Bearing Teeth. Uh, we have Jason Rowe, Scott Addison, and Andrew Hawkins. Did I get that all right, fellas? That's right. Yep. yep. Hello. Awesome, man. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We're glad we could set this up, and we appreciate your time. Um, that That's why we're not going to waste any time. Now... We we know uh, you guys. You, are you guys all from Texas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Are you all from the same area, same town, same part of Texas? Andrew, you want to go? <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, pretty much. Jason and I grew up pretty close together, um, south of Dallas, and then Scott. I guess you grew up north. Yeah, Dallas. just slightly south of Dallas. North of Dallas, so, but yeah, all pretty much in the same area. Okay, and um, uh, now growing up, I always ask people, "Are you from a musical family?" So maybe let's like go round table here, and we'll start uh, Andrew with you. Um, are you from a musical family? Are there other musicians in your family, um, or or maybe even people that are friendly to punk and, and hardcore and metal, that sort of thing? Um, no, not not really. My dad played saxophone a little bit in in high school and I think maybe even in college but beyond that I, I mean I took piano lessons when I was little the usual the usual shit like that but but beyond that no I didn't I didn't really have anybody else in my family that was that was really musical oh, okay so when do you start noticing I mean is it like a definite like even before you pick up a guitar you're like music is my thing what's this th-? you know like, like when, when does music start um, take a hold of you? Yeah, um, I guess it was maybe when I was like 12. Um, it, it wasn't like a, you know, a light bulb moment, moment or anything like that. Like one specific thing I can remember. But mm-hmm. I, I definitely remember getting more into like heavier music and um, getting interested in that. And then I started playing when I was about 14. And that was when things really 
really kicked off. But before that, I mean, I like, you know, I obviously like music and listen to it, but I wasn't like, it, it wasn't like my dream or anything to, to play music or learn an instrument or anything like that. Okay, um, and and we'll and we'll come back to you for for like those early musical experiences. But just quickly, Scott, same type of question: um, uh, musical family uh, and and background. Uh, you know, growing up as a kid, getting into music. Um, not really much of a musical family. I mean, I you know I've got an aunt that sings in the symphony, Dallas Symphony, but. Hmm. That's he's that's really the only one I point to. Like, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that she's the only one, literally. So, gotcha. uh, and uh, you know, I don't know. I just um, my story is like somewhat similar to Andrew's. It's just you know, I started getting into music and realizing that it was a passion of mine, not because of school or anything, but I was, I don't know, maybe like ten or eleven. I just started getting into heavier and just weird music that you know or at least when i was a kid i thought it was weird you know like marilyn manson and stuff nine inch nails i was just um i thought that stuff was cool and it just kind of opened up a whole world to me of uh i guess my passion for music and i didn't start playing until i got into high school and i really before that i had almost no experience with music playing Okay, and and uh, and Jason, I want to get to you with that question, but quickly, did you guys go to high school together? Any of you or all of you? No, no, we. I guess, I guess, technically, when I met Scott, I was still in high school, um, and Jason and I lived close. Like, okay. we had mutual friends, um, you know. But beyond that, no, we didn't go to the same high school. Okay, so, so Jason, uh, um, well, let's get to you, though. Same question. Um, sure, you, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, my dad played guitar. He was, like, a professional musician, you know. I, he told me about being, like, uh, playing residencies where he would, like, live at the hotel and they would play in the dance hall every night, you know, huh. that type of shit, which is cool. I didn't appreciate it then, but I do now, for sure. And uh, I was always told that my grandfather played harmonica with bob wills and the texas playboys but i i have no proof of that at all <laughs> but <laughs> allegedly, allegedly as so, we say on the show you know right we, so we i could did source too. it, it on your wikipedia sweet. here and then make it true <laughs> yeah right it's yeah i did, i played in them too for a long time it was fun <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah and then i i started playing when i was maybe like 11 or 12 or something like that i got a for christmas i remember i broke my ankle playing baseball and uh uh, it was like a idea for rehabilitation to to play drums you know to rehab the ankle so uh, it's kind of a weird fluke thing uh i guess but not fluky at all um so yeah and now i play drums and all the time uh i got a job working in a music store when i was 15 and that introduced me to a lot of different music you know i uh, i just picked the brains of all the people that uh work there you know and i got into bad brains and refused and uh cool keith and all sorts of weird far out shit that i probably wouldn't have if i had just stayed in midlothian and uh listened to whatever was on the eagle the radio the eek 97 one <laughs> it's, it, sound, it sounds. It sounds a lot. On, on Long Island, we have WBAB. 
I M B A B. Yeah, yeah. It so- sounds like there's probably similar playlists going on. That's the only home for yeah. classic rock. That's yeah, you're the only home yeah. for classic rock. Okay. Um, yeah, we're not going all the way back to classic rock. We're going back to the beginning of Bearing Teeth. So. Uh, uh, now, all right. So, so we kind of got that. I, I knew because there's always one in every crowd where, where uh, uh, there's a professional musician in the family. That was interesting. What kind of music was your dad playing at the hotel residency? Man, he got hired to play country, but he hated it. He was more into like the Grateful Dead and uh, Almond Brothers and uh, man, Sam and Dave. He liked a lot of soul music and shit like that. All so, right. uh, it kind of pained him to be that, but it paid the bills. So. Wow, that's and it kept kept him uh, kept him employed. And here you are playing like some of the most deliberately like abstract non-commercial sure. music, <laughs> and <laughs> and cannot get hired to play. <laughs> we have to I mean, play for free. There's, there's no hotels that let you guys play. Yeah, there's no residencies in Bering Teeth. Dallas Marriott doesn't no. want you in the lobby. Oh. This year, come on. Unfortunately, oh. not. All right, so. <laughs> All right, so so we got you caught up to you know you guys are all um, at this point in the interview we got you in high school uh, now I know that Andrew and Scott you guys are in a band called Man Is Mostly Water in the early two thousands is that one of your first groups that you really start taking mm-hmm. seriously? Yeah, yeah, at least for me, um, it was definitely the first one that I viewed as like a serious thing and you know we toured a little bit and, and stuff like that um but yeah definitely the first one that i, I made a concerted effort towards yeah because i noticed there's several recordings and you guys did tour right yeah mm-hmm. yeah we, we did a few tours would you look at that because i listened to it and um uh, you know, I, I heard obviously it's it's you guys both uh, playing in that band, but would you say that that is the beginning maybe of a style that you guys pursued with Bearing Teeth? Or when that band broke up, did you want like is Bearing Teeth the, or, or Soviet as it was called initially? Is, like, was that the result of you want to do something that's a, a contrast to Man Is Mostly Water? Man, um, I'd be curious to hear Scott's take on it, but for me. Um, the last we did a split is the last recording as man's will see water and that stuff i can see is pretty a pretty solid continuation from that into you know what came after you know the first songs written uh, or the first riffs that were written or what have you but um the early stuff like the first things we did probably not much of a of a connection but i can definitely hear some similarities in the latter half of it so when we went into Soviet and Bearing Teeth or whatever, it wasn't like a huge shift of of writing different types of riffs or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I would pretty much say the same thing. It was like uh, that that split that we came out with was kind of like uh, I don't know. It was I felt like it was the beginning of Bearing Teeth and like that kind of songwriting style, and you know, we had matured as musicians and writers as well by that point to where it just kind of gave birth to what we ended up doing in Bearing Teeth. Okay. Um, and, and while we're still back there, I, I, I want, Jason, I do want to ask you about your background. I'm not going to skip you, but uh, before we get too far ahead, Andrew and Scott, maybe could you guys speak to, did you have formal training, uh, jazz lessons, classical lessons, um, self-taught? Like, like, let's talk about that when you were still teenagers learning your instruments. Yeah, for me, 
I I took some lessons. So I was initially completely self-taught. Like I, I wasn't taking lessons or anything. And then off and on, um, while I was in high school and college, I would take lessons every now and then. So like I took some jazz lessons and took more traditional, you know, types of lessons. But beyond, I, I'm definitely not like I can't read music. I, I don't know theory on the guitar at all. So um, definitely, I, I would consider myself self-taught, even though I, I did have some lessons here and there. Yeah, and I I was more or less the same. I, I guess I went down the musical training path a little bit longer than Andrew did. But uh, yeah, I, I was self-taught all through high school, and I really didn't take any formal lessons or anything until I got into college. And eventually, I ended up, you know, to music. So, but I'm, you know, I, I didn't finish, so I can't really, you know, say that much for it. But um, but yeah, that's when I. Yeah, and I, I took jazz improv classes and stuff like that as well. Um, but that helped me develop for sure. Okay, all right. Um, that, well, that's that's kind of what I was asking about. Um, that's what I was looking for. And and Jason, not to, not to skip over you, um, did, were you ever formally trained on drums uh, or self-taught maybe? Uh, and, and just speak to that, your early years getting into drums. Sure. When I first started, um, I was definitely self-taught, just kind of watching uh, videos uh, of certain drummers, you know, good drummers, uh, ones who I thought were good. You know, uh, MTV was a big deal, so you watch the drummers and tape their performances and try to do what they do and all that shit. Um, but I took like a music theory class in high school, and then uh, after that, I took um, like junior college music classes, and I took drum lessons there. And man, yeah, I took I I was taking drum lessons off and on, even up until maybe like three three years ago. You know, just whenever I have a uh, extra scratch, you know, try to take lessons. Really? So continuing the lessons. A lot of people, you know, play in bands. They kind of stop that. They start giving lessons or whatever. You know, but that's cool, man. You're yeah. Well, that's that's my yeah. primary method of employment as well. So uh, I guess I just finding ways to pay it back i guess but uh um man you can always improve you know uh, oh absolutely i like that mindset a lot oh, sure what i what i found is that you know like the more you pay attention to the basics the better you kind of sound you know i went back and you know more recently just just playing like quarter notes at at 30 beats per minute and trying to make sure my my molar stroke is rounded, you know, because I had a teacher tell me I look stiff, you know, and it's just like, man, I feel stiff, you know, I feel <laughs> white and stiff, you know, thanks <laughs> <laughs> for giving me a fresh perspective, you know, like, so uh, it's important to take lessons, you know, and to, is, you know, and stay, uh, stay hungry and uh, all that shit. I love that. I don't think we've ever heard anybody say that. Before. Well, learning, learning never stops. Uh, definitely, man. And um, I can't fall asleep. I'm so stiff. Yeah, <laughs> that's a <my> lesson. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, a drummer I know. So he sick. he wants he, he gives lessons. He once described it as uh, he he tells all the all the people he gives lessons to at the beginning of the lesson. He go he goes jellyfish. You know, like jellyfish your arms and your hands out. Yeah. Get loose. Get loose. You know, don't be too stiff. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, work. Maybe you're in like a Russian black metal band, and you got to be stiff. Who knows? It's you know, it's all different ways. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> all different it approaches. Takes all kinds. Um, but. 
Jason, um, something, you know, maybe you've, you've got this question before, but something I read is that you actually worked with Between the Buried and Me very early on in 2004. I don't know that you recorded with them, but I guess you performed with them? I did. Uh, we did, man, it seemed like we were on the road from like March till December. Mm-hmm. Pretty much solid. Wow. Um, and I recorded one tune that's on like a Counting Crows uh, <laughs> tribute. It's on their cover album or whatever. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, that was fun. A lot of big tours and uh, fun times and. Well, I, I mean, so we're going back about 15, uh, 16 years with that. I, you know, I, I don't think you guys are like a spring chicken, so to speak, but I imagine you probably were pretty young at that point. Yeah, I, I turned 21 in Boston on the road. I was pretty <laughs> sick. <laughs> must have been sick. <laughs> Hell yeah. That, yeah. That's and, like uh, peak between the buried and me for me, man. That's That's the prime time. Yeah, well, we were like we were opening every tour, you know, the, like the bands that were playing uh, were all bigger than than us at the time, you know. I think of like Stretch Armstrong and Terror, wow, and wow. Cattle Decap and Darkest Hour, and uh, you know, like Cave In and Converge, of course, you know. But uh, uh, you know, we opened all those shows, you know, like twenty minute sets. <laughs> I, I mean. I- I've, I've just like two songs, you know, just aspirations. And it's, it's yeah, right. I, I get the fuck off with with artificial brain. We did a few tours where we were the opening of like three or four much more established bands. I got to say, I, I felt like we were uh, getting over easy, man. We got to play a short set. You, you go relax and you drink some water and you get to watch a bunch of sick bands. It's you yeah. get to jump on the and night you, drive. Man. You can totally set the tone for the rest of the night too, you know, like either good or bad, you <laughs> yeah, know. If yeah. you come out like on fire then it's going to be a good show. Usually. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just wanted to ask you about that. I thought that was interesting, especially cuz it goes uh so far back like like Justin just said. That's kind of um, you know, I respect between the buried and me obviously as musicians, but that early 2000s era is a little bit more uh, in tune with with my tastes. Um, Sure, that Silent Circus album, the one that we toured off of was, man, right up my fucking alley because I was into punk rock, you know, starting, Mm -hmm. and that was kind of more like, you know, I I didn't fucking know what a blast beat was, you know, like, I I knew how to play it, but I didn't know what it was (laughs) called, you know, so... It was really weird. I didn't want to tell them that, you know. I probably wouldn't have gotten the gig. But um, (laughs) I didn't keep it for long, so it it showed, obviously. So that's um, right. But it was, you know, um, yeah, that was more in tune with kind of what I I was into too. So it was a lot of fun to play that. And man, yeah, all all the I remember like the Converge shows, like they were all sellout shows, man. And and even though where they're like small venues, like four hundred people. It was quite the uh, amount of energy, you know. Uh, yeah, as I'm I mean, sure you know. <laughs> to, to early 2000s for uh, between the buried to me and converge. That's yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, they were touring off. You fail me, and that was a uh, cave-ins kind of. I don't know. Uh, from what I understand, they were kind of just coming back from a big thing they did with mm-hmm. Foo Fighters, and that was pretty. Uh, you know, it was a good tour. So, I was, glad, I was lucky to be a part of it, and fortunate to be a part of it, and it was a lot of fun. So. Awesome. Well, it's great you can say that, man. Uh, don't don't look back in anger like Oasis said. 
Uh, worse, worse, worse. <laughs> Come on. Who are you? <laughs> what did you do to win? Come on. I, I listen I listen to indie rock sometimes. That's okay. You got to uh, play Mordecai every night. That's like uh that's a that's a that's a fun deal. That's a high schooler stream? Yeah. I was I was pure, yeah, I was very I, I was fanboy for that record, so uh uh all right. That was the shit, man. I remember one time I totally forgot those bass drum parts at the beginning. <laughs> I like blanked out, man. Oh my shirt is too tight. The hot lights were too hot. I don't know what, but I was just like, "How the fuck does this go?" And I was like looking at Paul, and he was like, "Dude, you better fucking play this." And I was like, "Ugh." Anyway, shirt was too tight is the most 2004 thing you could have said. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> right, dude. Uh, well, no, I, I went to. A, I walked all the way to Wrigley Field, and I, it was too expensive to get in, and I had already missed half the game. Uh, mm. So I just bought a shirt, and they, all they had was a size too small, and it was tight around my neck, and it still is. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, that is a 2004 thing to say. That's oh, a size man. number too yeah. small. Yeah, I got. That's yeah, right. Yeah, my, my, my white <laughs> belt that youth was medium. too tight. Oh my! All right, all right. Well, uh, you know, I, yeah. Let, let's. I, I don't want to. I don't want to make too much out of it. Sounds like it was a good experience, man. Um, For sure. Yeah, small shirts. And and around. 2000. So, so it sounds like not too long after that, I think, is probably around the time uh, um, Man is Mostly Water uh, uh, broke up. I mean, we're getting into like to around 2006, 2007. I know 2007 mm -hmm. is when the three of you start as uh, under the name Soviet, right? Yeah. I, and I was the, the timeline on all this gets a little murky to me, but I I think it might have been early 2008 because I. I remember, like, I, I knew people who knew Jason, but I had never really talked to him before. And a friend, I think, gave me his number, and I and I called him out of the blue. I, I, is that how you remember it, Jason? I don't like. I have a hard <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, totally. That. I think, I think you might have sent me a text, man, but that was a long time ago for a text. But yeah, <laughs> I don't think I ever thanked you for doing that, man. But thank you for oh, reaching out like that, man. You heard it here yeah. first. <laughs> yeah who knows if i who knows what i'd be doing i definitely wasn't playing drums in a band at all then you know like so who knows but, but thanks but yeah. yeah i mean <laughs> uh, no i mean no it's it's i i remember calling and thinking like i had no idea like how you would respond just because i'd never talked to you before <laughs> like and and will like jason played in a band or he played in a couple bands um before like i started playing in a band evelyn and dreaming of the fifth and some others so like he was a guy i you know i knew who he was because of his drumming and i knew people who knew him but i like i didn't have the balls to try to get to play with him until like way after i mean it, it might have been like seven years after that so so yeah i mean we were both scott and i like super excited to to jam with him and it worked out really well obviously because we're still playing together what 12 or 13 years after the fact awesome i mean what's interesting about that and why i wanted to get into the uh you know man is mostly water and and um and and jason's experience with between the barrier to me is just i i tend to look at bearing teeth and it's just my own perception as like a younger band um just because maybe the time in my life the last several years since 2012 when i've been exposed to your music 
uh, and and my age and my perception of things. But in reality, I mean, you guys have been around for um, over 10 years now. You've put out a wealth of material, three full-length albums and other stuff in between. And you guys were uh, seasoned musicians who had toured and and recorded music before Bearing Teeth, you know, if people don't realize that. Yeah. And we, I I don't know, I feel like we get that fairly often of of where we get referenced as kind of a newer band, which um, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I see that in like, um, I don't know, I'd rather people be exposed to us fresh than us, you know, overstaying our welcome (laughs) or people getting tired of us or whatever. Well, they're not, they're not, yeah. yeah. They're not going to advertise you guys as has-beens, you know, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, well, the thing is, I don't know if young or new is necessarily the appropriate word. I would say contemporary because what you guys are doing musically is, uh, it's kind of hot right now. It's kind of like on the cutting edge of things. Um, uh, it's like, sorry, there's a ghost in our studio. <laughs> That's my dog. It's, 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 it's a dog trying to get in. That was weird. Uh, the door. Okay, so what you guys are, tra- are doing, it's more contemporary, and it's kind of on the cutting edge of where death metal is going. Like, I, th- I see you guys, uh, you know, obviously being on Translation Loss, I was talking about it before, um, you know, Dysrhythmia is on there. Uh, it, you know, you, you associate maybe Colin Marston and his scene. Obviously, people think of Gore Guts. So it's not that you guys are necessarily a new or a young band, but you guys are, like, doing, you're, you're, you're in an area of death metal that is new and young. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like I've never heard anybody put it in those terms. But yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Definitely. Yeah, man. Um, well, let, let me let me ask you this, because, you know, I mentioned I, I, I brought up the G word gore guts, um, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> because I look with artificial brain, uh, everybody brings it up and it's obvious. Yeah. Luke LeMay and, and company um, have inspired a lot of music over the years. Uh, you know, we also talk about Death Spell Omega. Um, I don't, I don't know what, what bands, uh, you guys might want to bring up, but I, I wanted to ask you what bands have inspired you or maybe influenced, um, your, your writing over the years that are more traditional, uh, in the, in terms of death metal and hardcore that maybe we wouldn't expect. Yeah. I mean, for me, the ones that kind of like cannibal corpse is mm. a big one. Wow. Um, okay. uh, yeah, I, I'd put them up there and maybe, man, like morbid angel i you know we we all love them and and then like things that or one that came to mind that i never really heard anybody mention is like i remember on the first wreck on atrophy we were all really into that band ocean that that funeral doom band from portland okay um so stuff like that and then maybe um like converge is a huge one Man, what was uh, that band that broke up? That was uh, you. They did the EP that you played for me. They got Mayor? back together recently. Mayor, yeah, yeah, Mayor, definitely a huge one. I didn't even think about that. Um, but yeah, Flaming I mean, Enemy I, was one that you you guys gave me too. Yeah, definitely them too. I mean, we definitely don't you know thumb our noses at any any like death metal stuff. Like, I mean, yeah, I all you. all that stuff is is super good and. Um, I would say that stuff might have more of an influence on us than like the really weird out there stuff. Yeah, and not yeah, not to imply that you guys, um, you know, were like elitists or anything of that nature. Uh, uh, you say thumb your nose at that stuff. No, like what I'm what I'm getting <laughs> is actually if, if quite the opposite because when I listen to Bearing Teeth 
Uh, you know, I always say this when I do the interviews because I listen to like all of your material. I kind of binged Bearing Teeth albums today and last night in preparation, so I get like a fresh perspective on it. And it's it, as as inter- as interesting and inventive as it is musically. Uh, it's thoroughly death metal. You could tell that it's death metal. You're not going to be like, oh, is this an indie rock album with a guy growling <laughs> on it? You know, like there's bands where it gets it gets into that territory. But Bearing Teeth, it's you know, you guys are steeped in death metal at the end mm-hmm. of the day, and and that does um, come through. So I was just curious, like, you know, you say Morbid Angel. When you said Cannibal Corpse right off the bat, that's what I was hoping for, was something unexpected. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm doing my best Cannibal Corpse impersonation, you know? <laughs> as, as are all of us at the end of the day. Yeah, you know? As we all should. Yeah, man. Um, well, that, yeah, that's cool. That's cool to hear, man. Yeah, because there is that element there, and I feel like... That's the thing. I feel like Bearing Teeth is a hard band for some people to categorize or label who need to do that um, because there's there's definitely more of a death metal quality there than with some of the other experimental and dissonant quote-unquote type bands. Um, and, and one thing I did want to ask you, when, when we get into influences and stuff like that, just one thing I got to throw at you personally because it's one of my personal favorite bands. Uh, is anyone in the band, are you familiar with, and would you maybe uh, say it's fair to say it's influence, Botch from Seattle? Oh yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. Because that's something that just, that <laughs> struck me in reviewing the material today too. Yeah, really? No, they're huh? they're awesome. And, and that's funny because I, I can definitely see the the influence like where it would be in our music, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody reference it. But yeah, Botch is awesome. I love them. Man, I don't think I've there. listened. I mean, I don't think I listened to them or referenced them since we started this band. But they were a big. I was a big fan of them when I was like 2001, 2002, mm-hmm. like yeah, me too. In 2000, that was uh, you know. So uh, going back to the influences, you know, it's weird how that kind of creeps into your subconscious playing. Yeah, you're what, right. Well, you don't even know about it. Botches everywhere. Yeah, yeah I think, <laughs> right. They, they are in a way um, under undercredited yeah. bands. May, now I'm gonna wade in maybe a little bit over my head here because you guys, as you guys know. I'm probably like the least appropriate artificial brain member to interview you because I don't play guitar, I don't play an instrument. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm going to wade in a little bit over my head here. Now, when we talk about Botch, that's a band that made interesting use of counterpoint on the guitar. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so, definitely, that, especially yeah, with like the tapping. Stuff right. Yeah. That they would do. And and I've seen videos. I believe mostly Andrew that you've done. I think I believe you did one very recently in the last few months where you talked specifically about creating counterpoint on guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now ex- explain for people that are like me or or uh, you know like uh, like like people that are on that caveman status like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, or, <laughs> a guitar player like me. Yeah. Yeah. Like understand. we'll just take take us through like what what does counterpoint mean? Because when we hear these tappy noodly kind of riffs in a lot of music, that's kind of what's going on. And counter well, like 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 maybe just layman's terms. Take us through counterpoint and, so and like nonpoint. No, it's not. not <laughs> <laughs> Love nonpoint. Um, I'll I'll do my. <laughs> my bastardized explanation of it and then i'll i'll let jason <laughs> chime in because he definitely i mean he definitely has a, a lot more knowledge on this stuff than i do but um okay. the way i think about it with our riffs is like counterpoint you typically it's basically two interweaving independent melodic lines that might sync up rhythmically in certain parts but are largely like independent and 
most of the time, at least in metal, if you're a one guitar player, you'll do that through tapping. So like you'll have a, you know, some sort of bass line with your left hand and a rhythm like melodic line with your right hand on the higher strings. But when I write, I try to get that same sort of feel playing just standard, like with a pick, you know, no tapping or just some tapping. And so I'll like hold out a bass note with my index finger and like do different chord shapes with my other fingers or things like that with the ultimate goal of having it sound like two or three different guitars playing when it's just me, like a double tracked guitar line, just playing the same thing in both um, the left and and right channel. But that's how I think about it at least. Well, yeah, I think you guys have definitely, um, uh, you know, with each album even uh, kind of built upon those ideas to the point where sometimes, I, you know, I listen to it. I mean, I've even seen you guys live. We, you know, we've, we were fortunate we shared the stage once or twice, uh, once in Texas and once in New York, if I got it right, actually. Um, and and uh, you guys kind of sound like there's two guitarists when there's only one guitar playing. That's like what I, where I picked up on it, you know, so it's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Justin. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna uh, add in that it, you know, it's not only when he's like tapping too. You know, like uh, I, uh, yeah, the, the beginning of uh, prayer, paracarion, paracarion, paracarion. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, like my bass, my drum parts based off of his bass line. You know what I mean? And I know that Scott chooses to accent. Uh, different parts of his uh, lines, you know, which further creates that uh, uh, illusion of counterpoint, you know, uh, uh, or, you know, not illusion, but it further implies it, you know, so that uh, it all works uh, in concert. I definitely latch on to it and I, I definitely hear it more uh, now that I've played with him for so long. I can, I can focus in on uh, like for the for some of the new stuff, you know, I'm just uh, I can hear certain notes that he repeats more frequently and accent those accordingly, and it's uh, it's fun. The whole band is counterpoint at that point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well it, it's it's true, and and something that well, you know, you have three albums, you have a number of recordings. Maybe a good place to go. You also. Um, you did Violationist uh, Sessions EPs uh, in 2012 and 2014, if I got that right, which are like live recordings of, of your music. Mm. Yeah, so. a friend, um, Michael, he has a studio. And yeah, it's just like a live in-studio performance. Um, those were a lot of fun. I don't know if I, the house that he was doing those in, I think he moved. So I don't think he does them anymore, but... But yeah, those were those were a lot of fun. We enjoyed them. Yeah, yeah, he did those a lot. So it, when you walked in, there was just shit everywhere from all the bands that had done it from like years before that, and it, you could feel it. You know, it, it was had a nice vibe. But it turned out special for that reason. I feel like cool. I, I just bring it up because if people want to uh, see an example of this counterpoint thing, they could watch that. And I, you know, I, I'm the, the what I'm getting to is is the idea of your three albums. When you go into the studio to record an album, how much or or if any do you do of guitar overdubs of multiple guitar tracks, and how much of what we hear is just that counterpoint, just that creating the illusion of multiple multiple guitars in one guitar um, performance. 
I tr I track in stereo, so obviously I, I do a left channel and a right channel, but 99% of the time, both channels are playing the exact same thing. So there's like, on the last album, I think there might have been one or two riffs where it was truly like two independent lines going on, mm -hmm. but I think all of Atrophy and probably all of Ghost Course were just completely just the same line in both channels. Very minimal overdubs. Wow, if any, right? Yeah, yeah that's it, right. maybe a handful. On especially on the like the doomier stuff, um, there might be some like uh, I'll throw in like a melodic line or something on top of a riff here and there. But um, usually, it's only in those sections because we want it to be, you know, we want the recordings to be able to be replicated live so if we do too much of that type of thing it you know i always hate when i see a band play and huh. they have a really special part on an album and then you watch them and it doesn't translate in the same way or doesn't hit you in the same way yeah, um yeah. so that's always a concern so yeah minimal uh if any overdubs um, in the early days of Artificial Brain, before Oleg joined up and we had the two guitarists and Dan would always be on the road with Revocation, uh, sometimes we would get a show offer and I, you know, I would be frustrated and I honestly didn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of musical comprehension. I, I would, I'd be like, fuck it, let's do the show with one guitar <laughs> for Artificial Brain. Come on, man. What was I think? I, I, I you know, I, I admit it, man. Stupid, stupid idea, but um, I was, I was hungry for it. <laughs> Uh, but thank God for Oleg. And speaking of Oleg, he's the one who transcribed the artificial brain stuff for our uh, tablature books that are available. And I know you guys recently made a lot of your tablature available online, right? Yeah, I um, so off and on for like, I guess the entire time of the band, like all just randomly tab stuff out. Um, mainly so I don't forget stuff <laughs> like especially if we don't play live for a period I'll just start tabbing things out but but yeah I, I posted a couple things and then with the new stuff that we're working on I tabbed it out as it's written so I mean we still there's still a lot of stuff to do with the new material but like the basic riffs of the new album are like completely like 100% tabbed out which is nice to kind of get out of the way early on in the process but um but yeah, I, I'm hoping that eventually, you know, we'll have everything tabbed out and available because I always, you know, as a musician, I think it's cool to be able to see that stuff and learn a little about other musicians techniques, especially if it's something that sounds super unique and is hard to uh, to replicate. Do you use like a Guitar Pro or something like that? Yeah, um, I was using PowerTab for a long time, and then I, yeah, I switched over to, to Guitar Pro recently. Yeah, Guitar Pro is fantastic. I mean, uh, I, I, like as a guitar player, I, I forget a lot of riffs, so I try to always have Guitar <laughs> Open, Guitar Pro open as I'm writing, so I could just, you know, if something cool happens, jot it down really yeah. quick in there, and you just keep that library going, um, and then eventually yeah, no, extra songs out of it. You know, it's very helpful. It, it's definitely a lifesaver. Yeah, because even you know. We, you know as i've been writing um there'll be parts that i'll i'll forget and then i'll remember that i tabbed it out and it'll like really save me a lot of trouble trying to go back and relearn um some of that material yeah, it's very fun yeah um now has you say you're like kind of tabbing stuff up uh, as you as you go along 
uh, as it's written with the newer material. Does that affect the writing process in, in any way that's, that makes it different from the older albums? Is there an element of improvisation um, that's that's not there or that's different now because of that? Man, Man. I, for me, oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah, for <laughs> me, definitely. We, uh, Everything that we've done before is kind of improv, you know, writing and listening and evaluating and you know trying other things but this i have all the shit down it's written down i know exactly how long it is i don't have to ask andrew what does he think about this what do you think well what if we change this you know it's all there so it man it helps me like in the writing process and i think it's translated into a, a more um uh articulate um kind of kind of, at least for my parts but i don't know i uh, i'm only uh, maybe like a two thirds of the way through writing the drums, but I, I feel like I have a clear idea of what I'm trying to do because uh, I'm looking at it. You know, I can see it and hear it, and yeah, it's done. It's cool. All right, man. Well, it sounds like uh, you're, you're writing the drums right now, man. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> every day, work, working on it every day. No, I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just breaking balls, man. Um, <laughs> It is funny, but uh, oh shit! But that's yeah, I got my bass drum pedal right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, <laughs> it was like it was like accenting what you were saying. It was great. Um, but but uh, yeah. What's up, New Newberry? Oh, you new, talking to me? People are hearing Newberry oh, teeth look, right look, now, look, man. Look. Sorry, bro. Fucking Wait, drummers. Right. Who who was, who was playing the piano before? Break out the piano, man. Newberry oh, teeth I, right now. Heavy whole podcast. All right. I'll check it out. I'll do both. Yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. <laughs> Let's, let's, let's get into it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We'll edit that. We'll edit that. We'll make that the intro or something. It'll be great, man. Um, but all right, all right. So, well, that that was seriously though. That was interesting because Jason, you kind of jumped in and explained how that makes it a little bit different for you as a drummer, right? Uh, yeah, that, I appreciate it. it, it for someone who's uh, painstakingly the, learned how to read that shit. Uh, I'm not a, not a t- traditional musician, someone who plays like a strong instrument, you know, uh, as just the dude who hits the drum with stick left, right. It's cool to see. Uh, yeah, the rhythm, especially what he's thinking about, how he's repeating it. So it helps for sure. Well, on that note, I know you guys posted, I believe, on social media um, not too far back that you're like in the writing process, you're cranking on, you're taking advantage of, um, or at least making the best of a bad situation with this pandemic by kind of cranking on writing. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, my my problem usually is like I overthink things to where it like slows my, it kind of slows me down, but when the lockdowns and stuff started, it kind of had the opposite effect where I realized I had like essentially infinite amounts of time and that, that helped, um, kind of loosen me up. And yeah, I, I just kind of started writing stuff. I mean, stuff for bearing teeth and just other projects too. So, um, it was kind of a liberating, um, experience at, the, at least at the beginning it's kind of slowed down now but but yeah for for a while especially like we were there was a lot of writing going on yeah i, I think that's kind of a similar phenomenon with a lot of people um during this time you know obviously it's a very 
uh, tragic and unfortunate situation, this pandemic, but one, maybe you could say silver lining or something, is that we are getting a lot of great music and a lot of productivity out of artists who are still able to, to work, you know, so we, at least we have that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've talked to a lot of guests who've, you know, been able to write, write a lot, um, during, during this time. And, you know, on that, um, you know, it's kind of, kind of a somber, serious note. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you guys seriously though, is if I got it right, maybe it was it, was it the ghost chorus, um, among old runes? Was that the album that was, I believe in the, in the PR, um, and, and the share, the social media sharing, it was promoted as an album that, uh, you guys wrote after experiencing uh, loss um, uh, in many different ways. Is, is, did I get that right? I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, thematically, I think that uh-huh. definitely played a, a big part in, like, the the title of the album is from a book called uh, Child of God by Cormac McCarthy, which, okay. I mean, it's, like, a really dark book. <laughs> so that, that kind of played into the whole you know, the imagery and everything kind of tied together in that way. Um, there, but there wasn't like any specific, you know, incident okay. or um, like anything that happened exactly that was like a, a tragic thing that the album played upon. Um, but, but yeah, it, it definitely was a, was a, an element of, of the album. Definitely. Okay. I got, maybe I got my signals crossed a little bit there during the research, man. Um, but yeah, I know that was inspired maybe by a very kind of like dark, um, uh, a theme, and that's interesting. You mentioned Cormac McCarthy. For the listeners, that's also the author that wrote *The Road*, right? Which I wasn't that made it into a movie. Uh, yeah, that was a movie. He yeah. also wrote *Blood Meridian*, which I tried to read, but he refused to use punctuation. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was rough. Yeah, he, uh, he, he. The, some, the, I think that book in particular, like there, just be blocks of text across pages. Mm. It can be. It can be a little tough to read, but I, I really like I ha- really yeah. like his books. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, there was a mastery behind the book, and I think that like he's he is eloquent, but he's also brutish when he wants to be. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I only got halfway through that book, and I no longer talked to the friend who recommended it because the thing I like about him is kind of I mean on on the same train of thought as what you were saying, where he'll like the characters will have really eloquent thoughts and really are really intelligent but the way that they express those thoughts is like super you know blunt and very you know brute like like you said so it's an interesting contrast um because yeah those, those books are really really dark right i mean you wrote an album kind of somewhat based on one so uh it, it had to have hit home I recommend if you're looking for a reading list, uh, listeners, check out Cormac McCarthy, but not Blood Meridian. Huh. I, I've, I've never, I've never actually read The Road, but I, I uh, picked it up at a thrift store not too long ago. It's on my on my shelf, waiting to be read. Um, when I'm looking for, uh, you know, something uplifting. Um, well, on, on that note, uh, an unplanned question, but since you say that, is there any other literature that has played a role in inspiring the band or, or even movies, maybe video games sometimes? I don't know. Hmm. Um, nothing that jumps to mind, at least in, in as literal of a way as that one did. Um, I know 
we're, we're really into Scott Walker. Like, Scott Walker's a huge That's what I was going to say. In his whole thing, his songs are almost, like, cinematic in a way. I think Absolutely. he wrote... He would write the lyrics and the story first and then write the music to it. So that type of feel, that kind of grand, you know, emotiveness is was definitely an influence um, in... Is, is kind of literary in its own way, but other books and things I can't really think of much that, that pops to mind immediately. Okay, Scott Walker. Um, I'm not a hundred percent familiar with his work. Uh, that, he was a, uh, an English musician um, from the, like '60s and '70s, I believe, right? He was born in America, I'm pretty sure, but I think he got famous over there. I could have that backwards. I'm actually but looking at it I now. think you're... You know, you have a right... American-born British singer-songwriter. Yeah, that was... He got yeah. famous over there, but all the yeah. dudes in his band were from here. But they weren't even brothers. You should watch the documentary, man. It's fucking brilliant. And the, the drift is the, the cat's pajamas. Oh, you did. Do your hallucinogens and, and listen to that. Well, yeah, did he allegedly uh, end up becoming something of an acid casualty, you might say? Ooh, I don't know. I agree Because I, I, I think I, I, if it's the person I'm thinking of, I may have watched something of a documentary on YouTube. I don't, I'm not sure if it's the right guy. I wonder if you're thinking, because maybe Sid Barrett, the guy that was in Pink Floyd, because he was definitely like a straight up, you know, he, well, no, ass, like... Yeah, not no, not him as well. But there was a story about a guy that that resembled the Scott Walker guy. Uh, oh. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Doesn't oh, matter. Uh, I know who you're talking about, and I'm blanking. <laughs> it's not this the, guy. The kind of Elvis type of guy, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, okay, we have to move past that one. We'll do a whole heavy whole podcast <laughs> about acid casualty uh, Brit pop artists <laughs> from the '60s. Uh, but right now we're talking about Bearing Teeth from Texas. Uh, and guys, um, you know, we talked a little bit about your uh, your Ghost Chorus Among Old Runes album. I want to talk a little bit about your most recent album, 2018's Transitive Savagery on Translation Loss. I thought that uh, the, the now Transitive sav Savagery, what exactly, we know what savagery is. What is Transitive Savagery? And am I correct in, in or is it fair to say that that album has a little bit more maybe aggression uh, than some of your other albums? Yeah, that was definitely the goal as we were writing it was to make it a little more blunt and more brutal, but still keep the atmospheric tinges of, of the earlier stuff. Um, that, uh, if I'm remembering right, I, I, I think I came up with the title, but I'm having, like, I have to go back <laughs> yeah, and try to. You, you did. I, I think the basic thought was using a. Uh, using any rationale that's available to be awful to people, like people's tendency to do that. Hmm. Um, like if somebody, you know, and we've all dealt with this where like, if you talk with someone and they're having a terrible day, they'll just like fucking pass that on to you and just, you know, kind of be a dick to you. Hmm. That, that type of thing, that's I guess. Mean. <laughs> Sorry. It all it all comes back to that second Ghostbusters movie where you spread the negative energy around. <laughs> so, I, I get it. Um, the lizard people, man. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, blood incantation isn't on the line. Okay. Let's not. <laughs> get down to Texas. 
pretty close to Alex Jones <laughs> right now. What's that like? Oh, yeah. Must be an honor. Very true. Well, Te Texas is a huge state. Um, uh, <laughs> lots, allegedly, lots, lots of uh, lots of varying geography, uh, cultural norms, things like that. Which leads me to my next question: um, Do you guys, uh, on an individual basis or on a group basis, engage in the act of fishing? It's a good question. Good question. I do not. I don't, Jason. Do you? I don't. Know. I, I have. I have, but I, the worms are icky, man. I can't. Like, <laughs> I can't puncture uh, a worm like that. Maybe I'm the closest. Maybe I'm the closest one to it. I used to go deep sea fishing with my dad all the time. Ooh, that's when I was want. younger, and wow. I, I still have love for any kind of open water fishing. I I love it. I my do. man, my see at the at the beginning of the interview. Remember, I said like there's always one who has like a musician in the family. There's always one. Who, who, there's always one who gets the fishing. <laughs> yeah, that's me. We, we oh. talk we talk fishing an awful lot, and if it makes you feel better, we actually talked fishing uh, pretty hardcore with Kevin Huffnagel. Um, oh our yeah, Kevin awesome. Huffnagel. Oh interview. no kidding. Yeah, which is why I bring it up because I wasn't expecting him to be to be a fisherman either. Man. But, but well, we're you know we're based out of Long Island. We're pretty deep out of, out in Long Island here. We're nowhere near New York City. We go fishing. Uh, there, there's pickup trucks involved. It's it's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. It's but uh, small SUVs. Yeah, well equipped. Yeah, four wheel <laughs> drive and the such. So well, so so briefly though, take me through the deep because that I guess that, that you know I'm thinking Texas. Uh, there's parts of Texas that are adjacent to the Gulf of Mexico. There's different, um, I'm sure, uh, uh, fre uh, freshwater bodies that people could fish in in Texas. But you're talking about deep sea. Where, where did you go? Well, oh, we we lost you there. My father and I used to go to Padre South Park. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, we can hear you now. Just start over again there. Thanks. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So we. My father and I used to go down and fish uh, South Padre Island, and I mean, that was like, I mean, that's still like a six-hour drive from Dallas, but we used to go all the time in the summer and, and go fishing, uh, go fishing down there. But yeah, a lot of people around here do lake fishing and stuff. I don't participate in that as much, but, um, you know, I'll do it every once in a while, but I, I definitely love just going down uh, to Padre and doing fishing down there. That's on the, that's, uh, on the sound? I mean, not the sound, the sound, the <laughs> fucking Gulf. <laughs> uh, you know, I always thought Texas deep sea fishing was for oil, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Paj South Padre Island, that's on the Gulf of Mexico. That's right. Yeah. It's almost to Mexico itself. So yeah. Okay. And we would just go fishing out there all the time. We would just take charter boats out and, and fish and fish all day. It's great. I loved it. Hmm. Yeah, we we got a uh, shot to the James Joseph uh, charter boat here in Huntington. They'll be they'll be gearing up in a few months once the weather clears up. Uh, yeah, we, we we do our own fair share of charter boat fishing and some surf casting here. But we're trying to we're trying to uh, fillet trade like they used to tape trade back in the day. Yeah, we'll do we're a fillet start, trade. Yeah, we're to do fillet yeah. trades. You guys send us a fillet. We'll send you. A, <laughs> yep. We'll ice it up. <laughs> ice it down and send it down there. Yeah. Um, but all right, that's cool, man. That's why I I always try to slip the fishing talk in there, and sometimes it works out, man. Um, uh, you know, uh, Johnny from Mortal Decay, big time bass fisherman, man. You always find it out, man. Uh, who, who else? Oh, Trevor Perez. Trevor, we had, yeah. We had Trevor from Obituary on the show recently, man. We were talking fishing with him, too. 
Um, because oh, because that that's our angle. If like if, if a whole bunch of like now this year with with the pandemic, there's a whole bunch of other metal podcasts and yeah. YouTube shows, and like we're we're the one that's like really a fishing show in disguise. Yeah, we're anglers. <laughs> we're anglers. Yeah, anglers. We're anglers. All right, all right, all right. Um, en- enough wow. enough fishy business. Hooks. Um, it's all about the hooks. Uh, we were talking about transitive savagery. Um, fishing itself a savage uh, um, uh, endeavor. Uh, but transitive savagery, um, you said that, you know, it was a little, it's, it seems more aggressive. It seems a little more grindy, a little bit maybe angrier. I don't know if you want to say. Um, what could you say about newer material that's coming down the pipeline, if anything? I don't know if you want to reveal any mysteries, but um, what would you say to fans who are saying, what's the new material going to be all about? Yeah, I, and I, I'm curious to hear what Scott and Jason have to say about it because we haven't like, I mean, we've been working on it, but we haven't like connected to talk through it or anything. But to me, it's a lot more, it kind of reminds me of Ghost Course in that it's more atmospheric than Transitive Savagery was. And it has a lot more like, I'm a huge King Crimson fan and, and I love Robert Fripp and his guitar playing. And it has a lot more of like Frippian single note guitar runs and things like that. And it has a lot of, um, it has a quite a bit of synth on it too, in like samples and stuff, but yeah, it definitely, at least when I listen back to it, it, it comes across as a lot more atmospheric and kind of doomy than, than the last one. All right. So now synth and samples, are those elements that were used in other albums so much? Um, on atrophy. Yeah. There were quite a few samples on atrophy. Um, not so much on the last two, and, w- and maybe synth isn't the right word. I haven't used synth on uh, the yeah. ghost chorus. Oh yeah, okay. Sean came in and, and played that that one bit. That's right. Yeah, our friend Sean, who plays in um, he plays in this really great band called Nervous Curtains. He um, he played some synth on on ghost chorus, but but yeah, yeah, big picture, it's it definitely strikes me as a lot more atmospheric than than the last record for sure, and and maybe going back to ghost chorus. Okay, nervous curtains, man. Never, never underestimate the power of rhyme in a band name. That's a great <laughs> band name. <laughs> nervous curtains. I, I love that. It's a good band. I don't name. know what they sound like, but they're top five band. For yeah, me it's, now. it's they're it's, good. It's, they're it's good. A, it's a they're little, great. They're really good. It, so. it, 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 it implies something that might be sexual. Who knows? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's 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 uh, 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 provocative. Provocative. If they were a bowling ball, they hit a strike. Yeah. Right now, it's just <laughs> knocked us all. That's a good name. Knocked me for a loop. Um, all right, so uh, guys, now we talked uh, about your albums. Um, we talked a little bit about guitar. Something that we get into again. It's kind of ironic that I'd be asking you this, uh, being the, the non-instrumental uh, guy. But let's get into gear. Um, I don't know. Are you? Are you? Because sometimes we ask people, and they're like, "Well, I'm not really a gear guy." I mean, what? What? Uh, what are we talking with gear? Maybe we'll just start and go around. Um, uh, there's only three of you, so each of you guys can maybe go and talk about, are you a gearhead? What are you using, uh, now? And, and Jason, obviously, we want to know about the drums. I, I doubt you have a distortion pedal on the drums, but if you do, that's sick. No, I wish I did. <laughs> that would be sick. No, uh, <laughs> what do I got? I got a bunch of drums. I'm more of a collector, uh, than a gearhead, I guess. Uh, but I got, like, four drum sets. Um, with different bass drums, different sizes, and stuff like that. Uh, I, a lot of shitty cymbals that are cracked. I just <laughs> keep them around, and uh, they sound better that way. 
they do you know you know some of them do and uh yeah i like roods i i, I was working at a uh, uh music store and i got good discounts on peisty roods so i bought up a bunch of them and uh i i use those 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 work for what we're doing uh, but man, I've used the same heads and sticks for like 20 years, and uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, they got spirit in them. They got soul in them. I did buy a snare drum that we seem to use on every um, every time we make an album. I always bring all my snare drums, and I try out all these other snare drums, and we always use this one. So I just found one and bought it. It's a, the Ludwig hand hammered uh, with the dents in them. You know, it's like a six six and a half by 14 it's it's aluminum it's pretty it's pretty nice though <laughs> used it a couple times since then oh. so yeah uh we're lucky like i think drummers musicians like are lucky that uh symbol companies never caught on with uh what jeans companies were doing where how yeah. distressed jeans with holes in them cost more yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah. Than yeah. just a, a nice pair of regular unhold jeans right yeah uh, where if 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 fucking peisty Wherever you want to call yourselves, start like figuring out that their broken symbols sound better than the, the whole ones. They're gonna yeah. start charging more for them cracks. You're about to destroy Man, I, thousands of did drummers. I did yeah. I say the quiet part out loud? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I could be a millionaire with all the shit I got of broken symbols with no bell. It's like here's no bell symbol. It sounds great when you drop it on the floor. So bell bell is too mainstream. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's all about eliminating the bell. String from drop ceiling. Yeah, this 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 ride that only works as a crash is actually a brilliant idea. Um, well, well, uh, uh, what about guitar gear? Guitar gear, bass gear. Anybody? Yeah, I wouldn't like. I've definitely cycled through a good amount of gear, but I definitely wouldn't consider myself like a gearhead. I um, on the last one, I guess I still do. I use a a PV5150 um, into a into an orange 4x12 and have a overdrive in front of it, and that's about it. Um, I, I definitely, you know, care about tone and all that, but I, I don't have a ton of ton of gear necessarily. Um, we have a friend though that we always like to rib because he, he has a he has a lot of gear and cycles through it and stuff. So it's, he has a lot of stuff that I can use and and mess around with, but. Um, I don't own a whole whole lot. Mm -hmm. Smart. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got the fifty-one fifty and an orange cab, tried and true. Yeah, that's all you yeah. need sometimes, right? Like it was figured out years ago, and these guys are still <laughs> coming out with shit. So, <laughs> yeah, and I actually, um, I think I landed on that partly from watching Artificial Brain, from like talking with Oleg and stuff, because I the Max and OD eight oh eight I know he uses, and I picked his brain on it and stuff, so. Um, yeah, it's you know so many bands use that and for a reason because it, it sounds awesome. So yeah, don't mess with a good thing. Yeah, yeah. People want to hear your songs, not how your songs are made. You know, just go out there, have some fun, <laughs> yeah. get a get a nice tone. And honestly, no one listening uh, cares about the circuitry of the amp or the year you got it. As you sound good, you sound good. Um, right, I agree. What about guitars? What's a what's a um, what's your go to there? Oh, I have a. Um, for a long time, I was using a Fender Strat, you know, an American Strat, and then I switched over to 
um, this Japanese company called FGN, um, and I've been using that for six or seven years. It, it's basically like a, a, a hot rodded Telecaster, like huh. it's got the EMG in the in the bridge and everything. It's super, you know, bare bones guitar, but it it plays great and it sounds really good. So yeah, that's my that's my go to now. Cool, man. Awesome. Love a love a Strat though, like classic, and when it works in uh, in, in extreme music. It makes me feel warm. It always threw people for a loop (laughs) when when I would play it. And it was, I mean, it was completely stock. Like, I even had the same pickups in it. And (laughs) it it was all just off the rack. And it worked well, but I kind of got tired of it because we tuned tuned to C. And so, like, the string tension was always kind of funky. Yeah. um, The the guitar I play now is a baritone, so it it makes it a lot. It feels a lot more natural to play that since it has a longer longer neck. Very cool. I have a hot rotted Mexican strat uh, where I filled the neck and middle pickup holes with spackle, and I just have a, a, a Duncan uh, JB down there in the bridge. Oh, nice! And that's it. It's heavy, oh, that sounds awesome. Heavy as fuck. Stays in tune perfectly all the time. But I play in standard, so it's like. But strats love them. And what about uh? What yeah, about and some, I, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, for me, for, for bass. Uh, you know, I've always played. Oh uh, man, we. Um, I was. I've always been a Fender. Can you? I, I'm sorry, man. Uh, you, we lost you again. Do you mind repeating that? Yeah. Um, so I was saying I've always played a six-string bass and bearing teeth. So um, I've got a, I, and I love Fender. So I was able to find a Fender six-string uh, to Steve Bailey's picture, and that's the one I use now in the band, and I. I love the thing. That's, I guess, my only like real uh, pride and joy of my gear. <laughs> I, I've never even seen one. Though. I didn't know a like Fender six string. Yeah, I've never seen a Fender six string. Ba- that's wild. I'm, yeah, it was. It's they were a short run that they did um, shortly after two thousand, and I think they were only around for like three or four years. And I got lucky, and I, I found one online. And yeah, it's it's awesome. It's cool. That's nah. fucking rad. Well, now I, you know, layman's terms for me, but uh, we were talking before about technique. This this idea of counterpoint, kind of creating this this sound where you might think there's two guitars using a six string bass. Does that add to that concept? It it does in my approach. Whenever just playing with Andrew, just trying to come up with different ideas, and I try to play off of what he does instead of you know, like I don't want to just follow exactly everything he's doing and and try base for you know different melodies that i can insert as well um you know try to add to the aesthetic and not just be on the back burner the whole time mm-hmm. well yeah because that's that's like to me like the, one of the most striking things about the band is that you're a three-piece uh because the sound you get sounds more like what you would get with <clears throat> a lineup um, you know, with, with like two, like, you know, like artificial brain has two seven string guitars and a five string bass going on, you know, so you guys do an awful lot for just the, um, the two string players going on. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's kind of our approach. You know, we want to try to have the biggest sound that we can kind of get out of three dudes. So, huh. uh, that's, that's what we're going for. <laughs> It definitely makes it uh, more practical and economical when you hit the road, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
Have you ever toyed with the idea of adding a second guitarist? Um, not really, and mainly because anytime it's or like anytime we've talked about it, there's two big problems. One, we just like nobody pops to mind. It would have to be like the perfect fit, and I, I've never. You know, that's never come up as like, oh, this person would be perfect. But then on top of that, like, I don't know. Everything's so dense already that like adding another, you know, something else to the mix. I think it would just be more trouble than it's worth. Like, I'm sure we could make it work. But but, but yeah, all, all that being said, we've never like seriously considered adding another guitarist or anything. Yeah, yeah just uh, just a just question that came to my mind while we're talking about this stuff. Um, now, uh, at, you know, as we round out, we always, towards the end of the interview, we ask our guests to, uh, recommend one older album and one newer album. I apologize if I kind of blindside you guys with this, but we can go around and if all three of you could recommend, uh, one older album, you know, we usually go 15 to 20 years old and one newer album from the last few years it doesn't have to be metal, but just go around and kind of recommend, uh, uh, for our listeners so they can make their, uh, bearing teeth told me to listen to this playlist. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm thinking, um, so for a newer stuff, um, and, and I, Scott was actually the one who pointed this out to me. And I think Oleg too is into it. That band, uh, Gorch from Italy. They're, they're a black metal band. They came out with a, um, with an EP last year. It's like really out there guitar riffing. It's really good. Um, I think it's G O R R C H. And then for an older one, um, I'd go with that mayor, um, the the canadian band not the black metal band but the ep that they released in the early 2000s is like still you know sounds just as fresh now as it did when it came out and like i listen to it all the time so that i think it's a lot more appreciated now than it was when it first came out but it's still definitely like under the radar so yeah that that one is like a game changer for me and definitely worth giving a listen all right. So, um, uh, Mare and um, uh, what was the other? What was the other one? Gorch. Gorch. G O R R C H. Okay, I gotta look for that. I'm not not familiar with that. Gorch. What a name! <laughs> I do love that name. <laughs> not as much as nervous curtains, it is a, but that sounds like what 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 the sound I make when I change my daughter's diaper. Gore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason, you got in? Oh shit! Yes. Okay. So a new one that I've been into is this um, Japanese pianist. Her name is Hiromi, H I R O M I, and she, the album is called Spectrum. Hmm. And it's really good jazz piano. Um, and I was looking at this other one. Another one I've been listening to is this uh, Robert Wyatt. Uh, from 82, Nothing Can Stop Us. Nothing Can Stop Us. Robert Wyatt. Okay. Ah, what, 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 what is, is that like a jazz album or a, what is that? Oh, that, I'm sorry. That's a, he played drums in the Soft Machine. It's kind of like a, kind of like proggy stuff, but it's, there's a lot of vocals and, um, uh, layers, good harmonies and melodies and uh, kind of beatboxing stuff. Huh. It's, man, it's, just really, uh, if you never heard of uh, 
heard of uh, his stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. All right, Robert it's, you know, no, nobody quite sounds like him. Almost like a Tom Waits kind of thing. You like know him when you hear him. All right, hmm. check it out. Check it out. I guess. I mean, I'd have to go jazz too for the for a newer record. Um, uh, this bass player, Jasper Holiday. Uh, the album is Planet B. Uh, came out last year, and uh, he's the bass player in Feronesis, which is a jazz trio that I really like too. Um, definitely worth checking out. Uh, I feel like a lot of metal musicians could get something out of Feronesis at least. Uh, but uh, but Jasper, his solo album Planet B, is I've been jamming that a lot, so it's something I've been into. Okay, uh, and any, anything old school? You want to recommend? Uh, uh, shoot, last night I was jamming uh, Campbell Corpse the Bull. Wow, man. I, I, I freaking I, love that record. I still do. <laughs> I didn't think that we would get two Cannibal Corpse shout outs in the Bearing Teeth interview. Yeah, yeah sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that's sick. That makes it even sicker. I love it. Yeah, because I was jamming like, it last night and I was like, damn. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, dude. As as uh, crazy and like I said, kind of contemporary, cutting edge, whatever you want to say, as Bearing Teeth gets, there's always something thoroughly death metal. I loved how in the beginning, the first song on Transitive Savagery, you guys almost do like a discourse that you do like this crazy like chugging blast that turn and like one of those pinch harmonic guitar squeals that people might associate more with like malignancy or something. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was just, oh, yeah. it was just it was just yeah. brutal. I was I was like I was like this is a, a little bit of a different vibe for Bearing Teeth, but it's still them. I enjoyed it, man. It's great. Uh, yeah, so so that, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned malignancy because that was like a a big influence when like working on that song like the number of pinch harmonics <laughs> them and, and like maruda too those yeah. those two were big in the the pinch harmonic game and that definitely bled in there oh yeah shout, shout out to paulo man the pinch harmonic uh game is strong man everybody <laughs> loves those um all right awesome man so uh, you know, as we wind down, we got some recommendations from you guys. We covered some stuff about technique. I I'm going to have to go back and listen to this because I'm not sure I even understand everything that's going on. Um, but, uh, you know, we appreciate your guys' time. And I'll just give you guys the floor. I don't know if there's anything that I failed to plug or promote or anything that you guys wanted to talk about uh, quickly before we wrap it up. Uh, I, don't, I don't have anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we you know we'll keep working on material so hopefully you know sometime soon we'll have some news on that and yeah i mean once the pandemic stuff you know goes away hopefully um <laughs> we'll be able to you know like everybody be more active and yeah. play out more and stuff like that all right man so um so if there's nothing else then um i'll just end it with this uh, any last messages for listeners of your music or the uh, followers of our podcast? Uh, listen to Sun Ra and Weird Al. Whoa! Not together, but <laughs> but, maybe but maybe one together. after the other, <laughs> but, but overlapping. Yes. I, I wish Weird Al oh, was shit. was deep enough to do a Sun Ra parody. That would have been kind of weird. Right? <laughs> wow. uh, maybe that's what he sounds like in the bathroom when he wakes up. <laughs> yeah, before he gets sick together. <laughs> All right, uh, Jason Rowe, Scott Addison, Andrew Hawkins, Bearing Teeth from Texas is the band. We appreciate your guys' time a lot for joining us this evening. It was great to speak with you. 
Um, 2018's Transitive Savagery, like we talked about on Translation Lost Records, is the most recent album. You guys said you're working on a uh, a new material, so we're going to keep our eyes and our ears out for that, man. We really appreciate your time, guys. It was good talking to you. You too. Thank yeah, you. thank you all. Thanks thank for having you. us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks, thank guys. You. Have a good night, Thanks. guys. I'll be in touch with you as this episode is uh, produced and all that, man. All right? We, we, we appreciate awesome. it, man. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Adios. Later, guys. Teeth, man. Shout to those guys. I appreciate their time. We're glad we could get all three of them on for a discussion tonight. Yeah, we don't usually do that, but you know what? If we can get a whole band, it's only a three-piece. Yeah. But so noisy. You heard I, a lot of noises podcast. Well, that's the thing. Is like I figure, th- you know, it still sounds like there's six guys in the band when you listen to the record. So if we only interview three, it leaves a little mystery still. Right. It's and if you nice. play this on two different devices at once, it'll sound like ten guys in an interview, twelve guys in an interview. I can't count dynamics. All right. See again, you guys are getting too technical for me. My simple caveman brain. I'm gonna have to call up the artificial brain guys and have them explain this to me. What's going four, on? Here. Four, six, four. Yeah. Six, eight. Right. I just love the look on his face when I use a lighter. <laughs> yeah, I I just I, I I grab my maggot stomp tape collection and clutch it in fear <laughs> of of your of your futuristic resources at your disposal. Yeah. No, listen, and I bare my teeth uh, in a feral way. Yeah. Listen, shout to Bearing Teeth. Um, we told you about Transitive Savagery, their most recent album on Translation Lost Records. Might be my next vinyl purchase I got to pick up from them. Um, and uh, they're working on new material that we're going to keep our ears and eyes glued for, man. Uh, appreciate those guys. Uh, met those guys in person once or twice through the years. I'm glad I was able to at least have a conversation with them tonight, man. Hope to Hope to perform with those guys, uh, share the stage again uh, when, when things uh, are a little bit less crazy in the world, man. Um, uh, but listen, I don't need to share anything with you guys. I'm not definitely not sharing my beer with you guys tonight. You're not gonna share, you don't plan on sharing anything with us. Maybe well, uh, well, I'd like to share something with you. Well, listen, if I like what you have to share, maybe I'll share something back, all right? And let's keep everything clean, nothing dirty. No, right? no, no dirtiness yeah, at all. We're not except, getting filthy in here. We're only except, yeah, except this. Yeah, we're sharing ideas, all right? Well, Tom, I found something. Oh, uh, do you need to do you even call a doctor? Or? Well, let's pa- let's press pause on that. Oh, but I found something. I found a revelation. Oh, okay. We don't really get political or religious, but if you want to go go ahead. I found a cryptic revelation. Okay. Nice. I found Japan's cryptic revelation, and their. 1999 EP The Truth is Out There Whoa Oh boy X-Files God damn it Jillian Anderson's still hot Oh my god dude Damn I'm in it I'm so in She 
she plays something recently. I think she plays the queen in some sort of... She plays of Margaret Thatcher, which Margaret really, Thatcher. D- really demotes her sexuality, but babe, it's babe, fine. It's a character bit. I didn't realize I, Margaret I, Thatcher I like, was I, so I hot. I like an older woman. I, I love her. I, I just straight up love her. I didn't but, realize that Margaret Thatcher was so loose and sexual. Right. Until I saw... Take me to Japan. Until, yeah, great. So, yeah. So, we have Cryptic Revelation. Um, holy crap. Nobody knows shit about this band. Uh, this uh, They had put out one EP in 1999... And then popped up again with two demos, uh, each in 2011 and 2012. Oh. Uh, so we're going to talk about this 99 EP. Like, uh, a, a, a fucking bridge, I'm talking about. A bridge between your classic death and your slam. Like, they're kind of fitting right in between there. A uh, little bit of Doom parts. This production is really fucking tight. Incredible uh, vocal performance. I don't know what they're saying because I don't. Sp- I don't speak. I'm not. Be- I'm not. I just don't speak Japanese. I don't know what they're saying, but I feel well, what they're are, saying. Are a the lot. lyrics in Japanese, or is it just the death metal growl that you can't understand? <laughs> no, the lyrics are in Japanese. Uh, okay. I know that they're singing about like alien abductions and, and government conspiracies. Okay. Uh, because not only is is the album name like X Files oriented, but the the lyrical content is as well. Based off of what I've read in translations, right? Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, we just have a really cool band uh, that that there's not very much information of, um, in that sort of uh, Florida style meets slam meets a little like doom slow down kind of parts, and uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. So Japanese death metal completely underrated. Uh, you know, people talk about Florida death metal. Whole lot of jibber jabber about Swedish death metal. What is that shit? I look, I love uh, Entombed, Dismember, Carnage. I get it. There are a lot of great bands out of Sweden. D- Dissection was a good Swedish band. I'm not trying to discount Sweden in any way. No, shout, we play. We play. Shout to the Swedes. But all this talk about Swedish death metal, Japanese death metal demands more attention. Justin, thank you for bringing this in. Yeah, I, uh, so, I, you know, in some way. The, the way the Japanese uh, interpret and and grow upon uh, different death metal trends going on, um, it's quite special. Hundred um, percent. I've yet to find, and correct me if I'm wrong, like a, um, an organic Japanese trend of metal, or and it might be hard to say because we always come at it from different perspectives and how they're building on a certain sound here, a certain sound there, or maybe that's our perspective relating it to to stuff you know from the U.S. or uh, more familiar European well uh, bands or whatever but uh they they always at least um have really unique spins on, on what's well going that's on. that's the thing I mean I've talked about this before with like uh intestine ballism was like a take a Japanese take on the Swedish sound yeah um vomit remnants was a Japanese take on what was then the New York or the East Coast death metal sound. Clotted Symmetric Sexual Organ was a Japanese take on the gore grind and grindcore sound. And the one thing that that I think all those bands and a lot of other Japanese bands have in common is kind of like a brilliant um, uh, uh, ingenuity and, and um, uh, a signature kind of like individualistic, uh, unique take on these sort of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, I don't know that there... And I could be mistaken. Maybe somebody could school me on this. I don't know that there is a Japanese death metal sound where you go, 
bands from Japan always kind of have these traits. The right. way you would say about Swedish death metal or old school Florida death exactly. metal or whatever. But in but in, in terms of quality, there's just always a lot of really great uh, Japanese bands. Like, when you, you know, like when you hear a good mm-hmm. Japanese band in a in a you know specific niche genre, uh, it sounds like a greatest hits of that genre. True, you know, I like, they, like yeah. it's it's Fair put enough. in it's refined in such a way. Um, it's attention cool. to detail. I mean, also we are getting a filtered version of that in a way because we are. I mean, not so much with the internet now, but keep in mind that like throughout history, like. You know, tape trading days. Who's who's sending like the okay demos from Japan over here? We're getting the sickest of of their. Th- There's something really magical about like the uh, the natural curation of material that comes out of there. One band I, I like to point out, like on the technical death metal thing, that's relatively new is Desecravity, which like I, I think I showed you guys that a few a year and a half ago. But that's like a sick technical Japanese band that's in the modern day, so they're breaking out. They still have their own like technical sound and, and it's not prohibited by the old school like oh butcher abc made it over to america while the other bands kind of fell behind you know what i'm saying yeah yeah uh, but uh, either way it's just how it played out and uh, our perspective on it is I, I gotta say it's pretty positive overall yeah. showering in that beautiful technological benefit of that yeah exactly um, cool stuff yeah glad this came across this, this cryptic revelation the truth is out there it's in the e- it's in the EP. The truth is out there. Hello there, my name is Tom, and for tonight's episode, I'd like to recommend one Skeletal from Finland, their album Bitterness and Burning Hatred, uh, Death in Peace Records. It's a new label to me, but worth checking out. July 6, 2020, uh, it's a trio, death metal with a clear anchor in heavy metal. We've got sprinkled in melodic leads, lots and lots of driving riffs. A lot of D-beats. This is the high-energy stuff. Globally, super ugly. Very ugly vocalist here. Really like that tone. Very dry guitars, which I think complements that. Um, the, the cavernous vocal without the over-distorted guitar. You can really hear the, the pick hitting the string. I, I really enjoy the rock and roll aspect that's introduced throughout what is thoroughly death metal. You know what? It's it's a bare bones kind of approach to death metal, and I'm I'm way in on it. I, I gotta say the vocals, uh, the songwriting, which is very like traditional, very metal, um, but also in the melodic leads, it reminded me of maybe horrendous and Morbus Kron if they dialed it down a little bit and were a little bit more traditional and like punk hardcore. Yeah influenced you know like that style of metal like my my my, like my immediate comparison was like a more tight talking skeleton witch yeah yeah i I think both of our comparisons are going in the same direction from different angles like Mm -hmm. like that kind of catchiness that that thrashiness that old school punk hardcore influence death metal quality um but you could tell that the chops 
are there in terms of songwriting and melodicism. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's got the right kind of attitude, but it's not this blaring kind of over-the-top production. It's, man, it's, it's a good listen all the way through. I yeah. like the songwriting. Agreed. So. Agreed, totally. Check it out. Skeletal, Bitterness and Burning Hatred from Finn. I, uh, every once in a while, you know, you guys know sometimes I recommend like the, uh, the B horror movie gore grind stuff and the, the band camp gore grind, porno grind guys just have fun or whatever. Uh, tonight I had to dress up a little bit for the Bearing Teeth interview. I, I had to go a little bit highbrow for you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next band that I want to recommend is, uh, they're into 3D rendering, 3D modeling. 3D printing. Uh, it's yeah, it's that type of it's, it's engineers uh, death metal. Like all uh, those things. Parallax occlusion, which I do have to spell for you because I'm illiterate. P e r i l a x e o c c l u s i o n. Parallax occlusion from uh, Ontario, Canada, released their exponential decay demo this year, 2020. Uh, which I really enjoy, man. Um, this is, if I had to say, what really struck me about this when I was listening to it, I guess you could say it's maybe of the variety of newer school, uh, old school worshipping kind of death metal where you see like your your blood incantations maybe and maybe some of the bands that people might call dissonant. I I don't want to throw names around. What I'm getting at is this band is contemporary in some of the senses I was talking to Bearing Teeth about in terms of being uh, somewhat technical, somewhat dissonant, uh, inventive, but what this band does different from a lot of the bands nowadays that would fall into those categories is I feel there's a a heavy East Coast death metal influence or sound that I find out of this. In other words, this sounds like that type of technical um, uh, uh, thinking man's kind of death metal with a lot of moving parts to it that goes on nowadays, mixed in my mind with an element of brutal, uh, more groove-oriented, down-tempo death metal. Uh, what we what we've heard of described as northeastern death metal by bands like um, uh, Vomit Forth from uh, Long Island and Connecticut. They call it northeastern death metal. Scattered remnants, things like that. Uh, I just hear something in this band that would otherwise kind of be maybe this more sci-fi, science-influenced contemporary death metal. There's an element of brutal in there. Somebody in this band got hit over the head with a blunt object at least once in their life. It sounds it, yeah. Somebody um, had a bacon, egg, and cheese one time. Yeah, yeah, somebody's been to Long Island. I don't know if they grew up here, but they've been around. Uh, but yeah, there's just there's that's what I like though is that this is 
It's kind of contemporary scientific influenced death metal uh, in its aesthetic, uh, but it's it's got that element of sci-fi and of classic cosmic death. I think cosmic was the word I was really looking for. Not, not as much as dissonant. Yeah, that cosmic uh, death metal that's big now. Dust. But these guys, uh, it's it's kind of like the Space Marines in Alien. It's cosmic. It's, it's sci-fi, but. They're, they're grunts. They're, there's a couple of grunt elements in there. You know what right. I mean? So, so like I'm, a Jason X. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I I I enjoyed this though, man. I really thought this was cool. It did. You know, there there wasn't so much tech and um, uh, cosmic death metal that went over my head, uh, and it's something that maybe uh, can appeal to fans of your more traditional death metal and brutal death metal too. Mm-hmm. So that's all I gotta say. Uh, Parallax Occlusion from Ontario, Canada, um, with their uh, exponential decay demo. B. Uh, thanks a lot to Bearing Teeth. Uh, we appreciate those guys' time, man. Excellent talking to them. Uh, met those guys in, in person once or twice, man. It was great to speak with them again, at least, man. Um, good to get their insight on some of their music, man. Really interesting music. If you're not familiar, please go check it out. And keep in mind, it's just three guys. It's like we were saying. You listen to that band sometimes. You think there's like three guitarists and two bass players. It's yeah. wild. Full yeah. force, man. Full yeah. force. And, and then, you know, <laughs> I didn't even really get into this with them, but they're doing vocals. While they're playing that elaborate kind of stuff, it's crazy. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. Well, it's like I always say, the NWO started as three guys. Mm. Wow. Good point. Interesting. Making yeah. make a f- full-on movement. It's the like, four uh, horsemen. There was more than four of the four horsemen at one point, There were too. five. That was, that was dumb. <laughs> I'll never understand. Listen. One was not in-ring active. Uh, but it's least, like I always say. At least we don't call bearing teeth the three teeth, all right? That, now, that would be caveman. <laughs> Uh, but listen, we talked to those guys. We appreciate them. Uh, I appreciate our beer sponsor, Atlas Brew Works. You can go to atlasbrewworks.com. Check out their beers they got available. Uh, get them delivered. Check out their little food menu if you're in town, all that cute stuff. Um, this bullpen Pilsner goes down nice. I like Very it. nice. Yeah, yeah, I had that one last week. Yeah. I like that one. A home run. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. I stole it from you. Out the park. I borrowed it from you. Bingo. Listen, uh, we can't. Let's not talk sports, though. Check out my Will cover song. It's a home run. Yeah. yeah. We already (laughs) talked fishing. All right. So that's enough sports for one night. God, I miss Um, fishing. Yeah, I miss fishing. It's winter over here. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, if you're looking for the the right patch to put on your tackle bag uh, next next spring, summer season to get ready for fishing, you can go over to heavyholepodcast.com. Heavyholepodcast.com slash shop. Get a patch for your jacket. Get a patch for your hat. Get a patch for your buggy computer. Get a patch for your, I don't know, your, oh, you got socks with holes. More Get soul. creative. Yeah. Buy more patches. Buy patches. Yeah. yeah it's, do, do something with one of our patches. Put it up on Etsy. I don't care. They're 3.2 by 3.2. What about the shirts? Oh, oh my God. Oh. 
I've listen. I'm I've been waiting. I've sorry. been waiting so long to say this. Yeah, waiting so long. I've been waiting so long. It's been so long. Yeah, uh, shirts are on sale right now. Heavyholepodcast.com. Yeah, waiting, waiting up. by the phone. Hello, shirts on sale out before the new artificial brain record. New shirts. <laughs> Heavyholepodcast.com/slash/shop. Get your size while supplies last. Thank you. It's well, all competition. Yeah. Uh, he- yeah. Listen, heavyholepodcast.com. Uh, and also, uh, you can go to uh, the little Patreon. You can pay us some money. We'll give you the bonus episodes. Uh, slide them under the table. And a huge shout out to all of our Patreons who have been with us for a while now. And the yeah, new ones. Thank this you is so much. A very responsive little community there. And uh, it's yeah. growing. Yeah. And yeah. I love it. Oh, my God. I love you. You probably don't care about me. You just care about Will. That's <laughs> fine. They love me. Everybody, love- <laughs> everybody loves me. Oh, Every- dude, I, I answer so many of those messages that come in. They're probably like, that's yeah. ah, not Will. It's this doesn't ah, look like Will was typing this. Even Tom? the ones that say it's from Will, I'm paying my dad to do those. <laughs> I, ah, I don't know. Tom's worry. not even in a union. Ah, like, we love uh, Will, too. Uh, and then I cry myself to sleep. No, listen, it's all gravy. Heavyholepodcast.com for all the social media links. You want to buy a patch. You want to buy a shirt. You want to buy... Uh, you want to support us and, and get those access to the extra episodes and the early videos, do it. Um, I don't care. I, I do care. I care very much for you. Uh, and I care about Bearing Teeth. Excellent band. We're going to be keeping our eyes for their new material whenever it comes out. Uh, you can check out their um, most recent two albums on Translation Lost Records, who sent me my records today very promptly. Um, and until then, uh, I guess that means... Um, Arriva Dirty for now. Do we have any more of these Atlas Brewworks beers in there, Justin? Yeah, man, I think we have one.